Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I am your host, Mike Turner, and with me is the guy that glues it all together for our team, our producer, Mason, and also joining us from a remote location in the wilds of West St. Louis County is Sean Campbell. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. It is a steamy day out here in Southern Illinois, so I don't know how I don't know how you're holding up out there in St. Louis, Sean. Oh, uh, you know, out here in the wild, wild west, uh, just dealing with knee pain because it's about to rain out here. So, oh, oh boy, we're loving life today. Mm. <laughs> uh, arthritis always makes the world go round, doesn't it? Yeah, don't you love it being you know not even thirty and already contemplating full on knee replacement? Ooh, ooh. Well, on a better note, we've got some news about the St. Louis City Academy. Under-16 and under-17 teams, they did play this past weekend uh, up in Michigan, taking on Midwest United FC. Uh, the U-16s uh, had had a blast as they won 11-0. to nil. But the U-17s took one on the chin for the first time this season, and they dropped the game 3-2. Uh, to two. On that, not a lot of information on the game uh, for that because it was an away game. But we did want to, you know, we've got competitive matches, including, you know, involving uh, players associated with St. Louis City. So it's always news and we always want to give you what we can. Uh, also, uh, a little more information is available on one of our uh, favorite St. Louis-based soccer podcasts, which is Flyover Footy. And uh, if you're not following and listening to them, you should. And that reminds me that uh, also, if you're listening to this, please go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher of choice. And uh, please rate and review. It really helps us with the show. And speaking of the show, what we've got in store for you today is we're going to give some of our uh, recap and uh, insights into what happened for the U.S. men's national team during the World Cup qualifying window one and uh, their game against Honduras that we didn't get a chance to cover in last week's episode when we had Larry Henry on to talk about the first two games. And I'm sure most of you probably saw it. If you didn't, well, you might want to just skip the first half because Greg Perhalter came out with a strange formation and a strange lineup. It was like a 3-5-2, or I'm not even sure how to classify it. Uh, Three... Two center, two center backs, James Sands and Kellen Acosta in the middle, had uh, Tyler Adams out on the right wing, uh, and then had uh, Pulisic Sargent on a wing, and uh, Ricardo Pepe got his, started the game, the 18-year-old out of FC Dallas. He started the game up top in this one, and uh, the first half was just a disjointed mess. There was way too much space between the lines, uh, there was a press by Pepe when nobody else was pressing. Honduras is running up and down the field like on a constant counterattack. And they did get a goal in the first half on a, a mistake by uh, John Brooks, who has not had the best uh, past 10 days. As a matter of fact, I was watching uh, some of the uh, Champions League games and Wolfsburg, and he got two yellow cards and got sent off uh, with the ultimate red card in that game. Speaking of the Champions League, if you didn't see it today... Manchester United was playing young boys out of Switzerland. And at the very end with the last kick of the game, Jesse Lingard makes a bad back pass. Jordan Pifok jumps on it, put it over David De Gea, and the young boys beat Manchester United at the death. It was very exciting in that game. I'd love to see, see Man you lose. <laughs> yeah. And, and to see a men's national team player score like that. 
Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> it's funny. He's got PFOC on the back of his jersey for uh, young boys, but they have him listed as Sibachu. And then in, on Twitter, he's at Theason Smith. So the don't really with- know what to call him, but we're going to call him PFOC for yeah. the, the simplicity. The man with many names. Yes. Now, we spoke about uh, what a mess the first half was for the U.S. men's national team. The second, it, it, at halftime, Berhalter uh, realized that uh, he had made a mistake. So he took off John Brooks, went back to his uh, usual four four uh, usual rotation, the 4-3-3, three, 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 mm-hmm. and uh, still left uh, Adams out on the wing back, took George Bellow off, who got the start. He had a pretty bad game. And uh, brought in Anthony Robinson. Legette came in the midfield to replace Brooks with the formation change. And uh, also brought in uh, Brendan Aronson to replace uh, Josh Sargent, who was just ineffective. Really playing out of position and didn't look good. Nobody looked good in that first half, honestly. Uh, No, no one did. Pulisic was trying to make things happen and nobody was around. It was a... It, it may be the worst game in a World Cup qualifier I've ever seen the U.S. men's national team play, and I've been following them for a couple of decades through all these, so that was a bad game. It's so bad that I was actually starting to entertain names that could replace Burhalter as coach because there was it, it just looked like they were going to come two points out of this window, and they just looked terrible, really, really terrible. But he made the changes, and they made an immediate benefit. Within three minutes, uh, they get a goal coming from Anthony Robinson. And uh, then Christian Pulisic got hurt as he was kicked around the whole field. He got hurt in around the 65th minute. Christian Roldan came in. And uh, at the end of the game, Ricardo Pepe got his goal. Uh, Sebastian Legette also scored, as did Brendan Aronson, for a 4-1 U.S. victory. At halftime, I don't know what happened, but they te- looked full of energy, tenacity, and intensity, which has been lacking ever since, I think, against uh, El Salvador, where they really played El Salvador quite well, just couldn't score any goals. Canada game was lethargic in the first half, and this was a disaster. So uh, that kind of wraps it all up and what turned from disaster into a pretty good feeling. Five points out of a possible nine. U.S. is... Uh, Tied at second with five points. Mexico, Canada's ahead on goal difference, and then the U.S. is making up the top three, pretty much what we probably expect after what we saw in the first window. You guys uh, have any uh, additional thoughts coming over after what we watched, not just in the Honduras game, but overall in the window? Uh, yeah, I, honestly, I, I thought these guys, when they got the the subs coming in and the cavalry came in in the second half, they really uh, took to adversity well. Uh, it was just something that, they need to learn to do um, the guys that came on that new that new look team in the second half really did well in an adverse environment. And that's another thing that we wanted them to learn and make sure that they could actually do in order to qualify. So although it's been a rough window and, you know, we didn't max points like we were originally thinking we were, um, I, I think they came out decently well. A little bit of scuff, scuffing and some some bruises and and stuff there. But uh I, I, I don't see any cause for concern just yet, but some questions have been raised. Um, yeah, but uh, that that first half was a disaster. They really I yeah, like I don't know what Burhalter said in the locker room or what the players said to him, but um, 
when they came out and they went back to went back to a normal formation that everyone understood, they came out with some fire um, that we haven't seen from them really all window. Um, in a, uh, the first game, they looked uneasy. In Canada, everyone was just asleep. I don't know what was going on there. And then the wheels had fallen off in the first half. So finally, it was good to get some good minutes in on that second half. Um, and coming away with a win is even better. But I thought that it was all over <laughs> in the halftime. Yeah, at halftime, there was another development there that uh, really made a difference for the U.S. Is that Honduras changed their shape and went to three in the back. That opened things up for the U.S. as well. But I do have to say, through the whole window, this very, very, very young team looked like a very young team that had never been through World Cup qualifying before. Uh, from all appearances, especially... Uh, from journalists that were there in Honduras, uh, excuse me, in El Salvador for the opening game, they had never heard an anthem sung so loud at any game they'd ever been to in that game. And it did seem like that uh, took some of the players aback. Uh, they weren't, I, they didn't look uh, prepared for the intensity that their opponents were going to play with. And uh, they were talking about nine points out of this window. They seemed a little overconfident. Hopefully they learned a lot of lessons it was perhaps the second toughest window that the U.S. is going to play uh, during this World Cup qualifiers. So I expect to see better. They get two uh, two home games and they have to play at Panama. Should expect, realistically expect, seven points out of this window uh, coming up in October on that. But uh, the players, uh, like when in the first half at Honduras, the pitch looked slow. It was easy to tell. Honduras adapted to it. The U.S., even when they had passes, they never adapted to the slow pitch. The passes wouldn't make it to their target. And anybody else noticed that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was brutal. And for 45 minutes straight, they did not adjust at all. Um, something that I would have liked to have seen from that slow pitch is them start overpassing, start missing in the opposite direction, because that at least shows that they're trying to adapt to it. They just kept under hitting and putting no power on their passes and just leaving them wide open. Um, it kind of reminds me, not not in the same way, but a similar kind of vibe to how they were playing in Canada, where they put in these massive long looping crosses um, and like, you know, dropped them in the mail like three days in advance. And Canada knew exactly where they were coming. Mm -hmm. It was just lazy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, big thing, Sean, and you could probably talk about this. Ricardo Pepe got his start as the 18 year old. Made a couple of mistakes in the first half, didn't have a lot of impact. Him and Sargent hooked up for the best chance they had, which ended up being saved uh, in the first half. But in the second half, uh, Pepe was everywhere. He was forcing issues out in the out in the midfield. He was making runs. He was a terror in the box. He got a goal. He had an assist. He was involved in all four of the goals. Uh, an incredibly impressive first game from Pepe. You guys all agree? Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. Love what I saw from Pepe. Um, you you love to see that kind of play in a true attacking player, not just in a striker, but in, a, in, in just a attacking minded player. The guy that checks back into the midfield, you know, he makes the plays, he starts the plays and then eventually gets back onto the ball and puts it in the net. And I saw a lot of that from Pepe. And that's great. Um, just imagine with a healthy Pulisic and Pepe, if they could just 
finally put it all together and have a great attacking three, I think I, I think we finally found the magic the magic equation, if you will. And don't forget Gio Reyna as well. Uh, yes. And uh, hopefully Pepe's the kind of striker that uh, instead of those going for the hero shots, will pass it off, which we saw in the Nations League, Sargent had a chance for two or three tapping goals and they didn't pass to him. It makes you wonder if they really didn't have belief in him or something else. Pepe looked like a striker. Uh, and I would not at all be surprised, and I'd be a little uh, angry if he didn't start two of the three games in the next window. And uh, from what oh, I'm seeing, agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and despite PFOX scoring today in the Champions League, I think Jayasi Zardis is, should start at the other one simply because he is a striker that has benefited from Berhalter's system at the Columbus Crew, uh, really came into his own there, and he knows how to make those runs darting in and out that fit the system. And I thought that was something that was really needed in Canada. Probably could have seen Pepe in the Canada game, but I do understand Berhalter's uh, reluctance to bring the young guy in in that game, in that pressured environment. Yeah, I mean, like... I would definitely want to see Josh's artist come back in the in the next window. I also I really want to see Pepe back because what I saw, you know, his play, especially in that second half, was quite impressive. He was a little lackluster in the first half, but so was everybody. Um, everybody really improved. It was nice to see him stay out there, get the full ninety, and get get what he was due. And um, and then uh, yeah, I do want to see Zardes come back because he was a fun player to watch. Yeah, the Berhalter did after the game call him out as the. The press that wasn't working, he said that Pepe was kind of pressing on his own and not in the team system. Sounds like somebody that just joined the team for the first time and uh, was kind of just reacting like he does, but picked it up in the second half. He was a difference maker for sure. Another thing that was a difference maker uh, in this second half is there was a point in the game where the U.S., out of the 11 players that they were had on the field, 10 of them were either active in MLS or were developed or came up in MLS. Only Anthony Robinson uh, is the only one that had no association with MLS. Also for the Honduras team, they had Ramon Quito and uh, especially Andy Nahar, who's playing for DC United. They were terrors. And it shows the importance of what MLS and what the domestic league means. Yeah, but you're forgetting a very important point, which is that the only leagues that matter are in Europe. That's what some will have you believe. <laughs> but all those... Hashtag all soccer those, Twitter! Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at all of those nations in international play in Europe, the strong ones, they're drawing from a strong domestic league. Uh, it's important. Uh, players like Leggett, Roldan, when they came in, they get to be the leaders or part of the leadership of their squads, their club teams. The young guys over in Europe don't have that. The only one that possibly can even approach it might be Tyler Adams, and I don't think he does that with Leipzig either. Uh, Very few of them are actually written in each starters every week for their club teams. They're very immensely talented and they're young, but in MLS you get a chance to actually be a veteran leader, show leadership, go through the rungs, play all the time. So it's important to develop. You might not develop all of your great stars, but Ricardo Pepe is an MLS, has been talked about in the FC Dallas Academy for uh, at least three years. There was uh, knowledgeable people shouting out for him to start at striker for FC Dallas when he was 16. That's He's not coming out of nowhere. 
Uh, but he might move to Europe coming up soon. There's actually been reports that Syria has been looking at him for quite some time. But Venezia, not everyone. Maybe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I think uh, actually it'd be a big team. Maybe Juve, <laughs> since Ronaldo's ah. no longer gone. Ah, there you go. And uh, but also with that, it, when you look at all the players in Europe and all the young talent going over, just to say that they're in Europe, so everybody left in MLS isn't any good. That's kind of a fallacy, and you're not looking at the big picture in this case. If you look at all those players that are now applying their trade in Europe uh, after Christian Pulisic, for the most part, they're extremely young. Uh, Pulisic was the proof of concept. Gio Reyna helped. And then the big clubs in Europe found out that the U.S. is the new bargain bin. Grab them when they're young. Get them at a low cost. See if they develop. Get them in the starting lineup on a low wage. Uh, Your transfer fees are extremely low. Pretty good for MLS sites, but low for big clubs in Europe. And uh, the poor players that were 22, 23, 24 in MLS, they might have been deemed too old at that point to really take advantage of the bargain buying, bargain shopping in North America. They could very well be better than the players that got the transfer, but they were looking for young, developable you know, prospects at a low cost. They didn't really want somebody... Uh, that's advanced and at an older age because that's not what they were looking for. That's something to keep in mind. It's not in all cases, of course, nothing ever is. But it is something to keep in mind when you judge the worth of the players in MLS for the national team. A lot of it, the young players in Europe, is not the most talented. They were just the most uh, the most revenue-friendly, profit-friendly for those teams over in Europe. That's a big consideration. Mm-hmm. Especially because like a lot of these clubs are have a lot of they're settled with a lot of debt because they've been overspending on players if you can pick somebody up on the cheap um and develop them up they're looking at these kids like investments not like on-field talent necessarily they want to pick up players that are cheap that they can stash um you know bring up and hopefully kind of sell on i would imagine um just because they're in europe doesn't necessarily mean that they are better or more well-developed than domestic league players. That's not the, necessarily the case. And the other thing that uh, some of these guys, like, uh, you know, some of the ones in Europe were definitely produced through the MLS academies. The focus on the academies and the selling has really helped in developing young talent in the U.S. The academies, especially Philadelphia Union, uh, Sporting KC, uh, and uh, FC Dallas are at the top of the list for this, of developing them and trying to sell them on. It's something that is quite apparent that St. Louis City also wants to get involved with, uh, either to fill up on the cheap, you know, a first-team roster without having to transfer or do other things. You always want your own talent, and then you have the ability to, say, trade them within the league as they get better to get that all-important MLS monopoly money, the allocation money, or to uh, sell them on to another team where you get to keep the profits or most of them and uh, possibly get the sell-on fees for the next uh, contract as well. So it's important for MLS, and it's important for developing teams, uh, youth and talent in the U.S. Yeah, it's it's a very important thing, but at the same time, it's just as important to think about, yeah, these teams are building up kids through their academy. They're selling them on. They're getting them to Europe. They're getting to better teams. But uh, going back a little bit, the guys that got missed out on because they were just a little bit older, um, 
they end up staying in the MLS and they're developing in the domestic league and helping the d- domestic league develop. Um, so it's just as it's just as good to have these guys coming through the academies, homegrown players playing real big minutes in MLS to not only promote the league, promote the team, but also the country so that, you know, hey, our prospects are the real deal. They can play at top flight. Um, but if we just keep getting these guys growing up and then sending them over to Europe before they even play over here, this league's going to fail and we have to find a balance between the two. Uh, it, otherwise, again, the league's just going to sink back into retirement league status. And also two of the uh, basically right-in starters for the national team right now are uh, Matt Turner in goal and Miles Robinson in center back. They were they're late developers. Uh, they didn't really show what their worth was so young at 18, 19, 20. It took time to develop. They've developed into starters for the national team. That proves the worth of a strong domestic league. But not only that, you looked at Honduras, you looked at the teams that we faced in this window and we will face going forward. So much of their talent has also been developed in MLS with the internationals, with the players coming up from South America really has increased the overall talent level and the strength of competition in MLS. So by strengthening CONCACAF, it also strengthens the whole region. It gives better competition for the U.S. and Mexico to make themselves stronger and uh, makes some of these games more compelling. And actually, I think everybody is undervaluing some of the teams in CONCACAF and perhaps rightly so, but they've gotten better because, you know, coaches and players have been had a chance to develop in a polished professional league in MLS, adding another route of uh, adding talent. An important thing to remember about all these transfers and everything is that it's basically just a mob racket. You know, the, the these players are just commodities commodities to be bought and sold like you're on a trading floor, really. As a fan, you don't necessarily want to hear that or think about it that way, but that's kind of how the clubs look at it. Yeah, it kind of is, but the, the players do usually get a new contract and they get some of the money from the transfer. So it's not like, say, trades within the big three or big four uh, U.S., where they just trade you and you're gone and you got to pick up and move your house and everything else. Mm. Uh, they do get a little benefit out of it. Uh, sometimes Reggie Cannon at going to Boa Vista in Portugal has not been a good move. He would have been better off staying in MLS, to be quite honest, unless he can get out of that mess over there. Anybody else have anything to add about uh, what MLS adds to the national team? Uh, well, I was just going to back up what kind of what you guys were talking about, how having a strong domestic league like brings up the level of competition in CONCACAF. We've touched on this before. It's a rising tide situation, right? If we can bring up the level of competition in CONCACAF, that's going to only make the national team stronger. It's only going to, if we make this region more competitive, that's going to help make our national team stronger, help us compete better in international tournaments, um, World Cups, stuff like that. And that starts with having strong domestic leagues that can develop your national talent. Yeah, it's definitely important. Um, one last thing I want to make sure we get in, though, is uh, having the guys that grow up and come through the MLS academies, working through the strong league, whatever. Um, if they're the better talent in the league and it seems like staying homegrown and staying in the MLS, they kind of show off a little better. Uh, they end up being 
the guys that everyone looks at for leadership. They end up being the captains of their clubs and having that kind of experience of being the leader of a team of a squad at your club level, you can translate that to international level and being able to have someone instead of just a bunch of guys that play like half the season over in Europe and then and sit the other half the time and come over and just kind of mob them together. You've got a couple of guys who at least a couple of guys that know what it takes to lead a team. Your Legettes, your Roldans, your Pulisics, but also Pulisic is a special case. Um, but having those guys that know what it takes to lead a squad, being able to come in and bring these guys together and lead the squad, even if they're just a glue guy, but having someone to lead the team and create an identity amongst the players is so important because without that, it's just a bunch of players on a, on a field and that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about the importance of glue guys like legit, like rolled on they're, they're, they're kind of intangibles that they bring um, the ability to, you know, uh, especially with this kind of roster that we put forward this summer and with the world quali- uh, world cup qualifying, um, these are guys that haven't played together much um, in a national in the national uh, team. So to have guys that can really hold them together, be kind of leaders and captains, that um, that's a big benefit to finding an identity um, for these for this squad. And a big benefit of that is getting playing time. And you're going to get a lot more playing time in MLS than you are in Europe. You hope. But that uh, kind of wraps up those thoughts, but uh, leads into a little recap that we want to do of what happened in MLS uh, during the past week as well. Since, of course, St. Louis City is going to be an MLS team, we need to know what's going on in the league. Some big news out of MLS this week. Not that big, but kind of big. They put out the schedule for the playoffs coming up. And uh, one of the games is they're going to have a Thanksgiving Day game on Fox uh, to compete against the NFL. Uh, Bold. Pretty bold by Fox. But one thing that hasn't been mentioned very much is this season. The viewership numbers on TV as MLS gets ready to negotiate a new television package, the ratings have been up 20%. They had been pretty stagnant for the past few years. It's a very good sign for MLS and for soccer in the U.S. Yeah, I'm certainly more excited to watch soccer than I am football, that's for sure. Yeah, me too now. Uh, NHL has just become so dull to me. You mean the NFL? Yes, sorry. The NHL is also a little As, I was going to say, don't you dare talk down on my blues, boy. <laughs> well, I mean, it has gotten a little dull because nobody beats the crap out of each other anymore. But go back to hockey Twitter. <laughs> or you can watch Slapshot and watch the Hanson brothers skate around three in a line and beat the crap out of everyone. Matter of fact, if you yeah, haven't seen Slapshot, you... I highly recommend watching that movie. It's hilarious. It's old. And if you like Slapshot... If you like Slapshot, I highly recommend Goon. Goon 2, not so much. Still worth a watch, but Goon, the original, is fantastic, and it needs to be seen. (laughs) And that wraps up today's podcast about sports (laughs) movies that you should be watching. (laughs) Now back to our regular programming. But uh, as we get ready to do the MLS Roundup, it's time to give Sean Campbell his Sporting KC moment. And it's been a little rough patch for Sporting KC I imagine the Peter Vermees had them all fired up to come out of the gate and start fast in this game. So did that happen, Sean? Uh, I I do believe that is, in fact, an understatement considering 
Six minutes in, it's already 2-0 Sporting KC. That's right. 2-0 good guys in six minutes. And the best, most juiciest part of this is it was against the Chicago Fire in Children's Mercy Park. I'm very upset I did not hear a single Wiz on the Fire chant, but it's okay. Because I did hear the wings of a sparrow, and I was very happy. Um, the rest of the game went, you know, it, it went by for, without much much cause for concern. Chicago had a couple of chances. We hit the we hit post a couple of times, and this game easily could have been three four nil. But uh, no, it just it just felt really good to get such a dominating win over the rival team. It's such a crucial moment. Because we're coming to playoff time, and we need those points as much as ever. Now is now is the time to start destroying teams like the Fire. And this is a case of the enemy of the my enemy is my friend, except my enemy here is Chicago. Because I just loathe that city in a sports sense. It's a I like it as a place, but in a sports context, absolutely hate it. Hate everything. About I mean, it. who <laughs> names their who names their team after the greatest natural disaster to ever happen to your city? You burnt your whole city to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems to be a running theme in MLS for some reason with the quakes as well. I mean, the I don't know why you do that, but. <laughs> I personally would not do that, but that's just me. I'm built different. <laughs> and uh, on a personal level, remember what FC Dallas was before? The Dallas burn. Like sunburned. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, honey. Oh, I some, forgot about that. There's some terrible old names in MLS uh, on that. I don't know. And I think the Wizards was pretty good. The Wizards is certainly a silly name, and I respect it for that. But changing it to Sporting uh, it KC, <laughs> changing it to Sporting KC really seemed to change the trajectory of the entire franchise. It just they really seemed to grab a bigger foothold in the city uh, for some reason. Maybe it's just timing. Uh, everything else that was one change that uh, really did seem to help. Yeah, and I mean, like, not to bang the drum too much, but like, especially with the trend of MLS uh, and to uh, uh usl teams as well kind of shifting over to more euro style names um sporting kc is a sporting kansas city is a pretty good name honestly i like it mm -hmm. it's oh just it's fantastic euro, it's just euro enough to be evocative without just being a copy i like it speaking of uh uh bad nicknames it was important for sporting kc because the colorado rapids um <laughs> played uh the la galaxy in a rather entertaining game, but it was a draw 1-1 at the end. The Rapids really do need a prolific score if they're going to go any further, but they are definitely a threat and they're not going away. Galaxy's still up there as well, but Sporting KC got a little, you know, got a couple points on both of those teams. Um, fortunately, they didn't uh, get any points on the Sounders because they just keep rolling, keep on chugling. Oh yeah, the the Sounders are just the I I I have no doubt that it's gonna it's it's just a fight to the death between Sounders and the Revolution for Supporter Shield. I've foregone that conclusion, but honestly, it probably would have been better. Uh, just looking at the points, it would have been better if LA had gotten a goal if Chicharito had put that one in the net. Mm -hmm. mm, I'm still mad about it. Um, just because Colorado has games in hand. And I don't like that. You're one point behind us. You have two games in hand. That's not something I like to see. So if they could have been two points behind us with two games in hand, that'd be much better. 
And the galaxy are far enough away that it doesn't matter. They're they're like, what, six, seven points behind us? We can give them a couple of points there, right? Maybe? <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, you want to do it this year. I've got a feeling with uh, Greg Vanny and their mining of all that talent in Ligue 2 in France uh, is going to pay off for them in the future going forward. They, they're building something there. You can see it. I personally would have liked the Galaxy to kick the crap out of the Rapids just because I have a strong, intense dislike of Stan Kroenke and everything he's involved in. <laughs> you think Kroenke even knows he owns the Rapids? I bet he's forgot. I, actually, I think he did pass that one on to his wife. He doesn't even own it anymore. <laughs> I don't think he knows what he owns. Uh, the famed writer formerly of Sports Illustrated, uh, Sports Illustrated, one of the finest uh, soccer journalists in America, Grant Wall, uh, shared a story he had from a few years back at an owner's meeting. He was talking to an owner who had owned the team for quite a few years. And the owner get, uh, shared with Grant Wall that uh, in all this time, he had never, ever met Stan Kroenke. <laughs> Not really an engaged owner. And speaking of games in hand, uh, the Revs seem to be running away with the Supporters' Shield, and they're playing extremely well. Uh, but the Sounders also have games in hand on the Revs, so if they win their games that they have in hand, they'll only be four points behind the Revs with like nine, ten games to go. And they've got new who back, so watch out for the Sounders. But uh, the Revs are really, I mean, they lost Carlos Hill for, you know, what, a month and a half, two months, and they just keep winning. Tejan Buchanan's really become a superstar for them. Uh, another point about games in hand, um, I don't know if we're done talking about the Sounders, but uh, Inter-Miami, I believe it is, trying to make the playoffs. They've got games in hand on uh, the three positions ahead of them. Uh, if they can go on a tear, I think they could make it. Yeah, but... yeah, they got, uh, they got games in hand against uh, teams in the five through eight positions in the table, and they're hot, and they're playing well. Uh, giving them a lot of stick on this podcast in the past. I tip my hat uh, to them for Phil Neville's got that team together and uh, has really got them firing right now. Yeah, for sure. They uh, they looked good in their game this week, um, but it's it's important to note they're sitting in ninth right now with 29 points with one game in hand on the four teams in front of them. If they win that game in hand, that puts them solidly tied for second place with the Philadelphia Union of all teams. Oh, Philadelphia. Tied with the Union with one game. Union have not been game. that good this year. They, they've dropped off more than I think they expected. Uh, even though they lost, uh, you know, Aronson and uh, McKenzie to Europe, uh, they thought they were going to fill it in quicker. They've got young talent. They'll be back, but this is not their season. Uh, one team that might enter Miami might have to watch out for that game in hand that don't seem to be losing right now is Atlanta United. Uh, they took on Orlando, who I believe was in second place in the East when the game started, and they blew them away. The score was 3-0. Atlanta, ever since they got Spanking. rid of Gabriel Heinze, as just they are playing fast, breaking soccer. They won this game without Joseph Martinez, but they uh, signed Araujo. Uh, in the midseason, and he's quite a player. And Ezekiel Barco is suddenly what everyone expected him to be. Uh, now we got Gonzalo Pineda uh, in as their head coach. He wants to keep this rolling. He's got him into a back three, sort of a sounder shape. And they're really on fire right now. So 
you know, after being down for so long, they're catching fire at the right time of the season. So keep an eye on them. Don't keep an eye on the fire, though. They're they're just terrible. Uh, Nobody likes the fire. Who's not terrible is Nashville. Whiz on the fire. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. Whiz on the fire. But uh, keep your eye on Nashville. There's not as defensively stout as they were last year, but they're good enough. Uh, but this year they're scoring. I saw a graphic, believe it or not, that Nashville is now second, I believe, in the league in goals per minute played. Not something we expected out of them. Uh, they're very quietly just pushing along, and that's a team no one wants to play in the playoffs. They have the ability to beat anyone, to be honest. just They're just chugging along. I, I like to see it. I like Nashville, just kind of spiritually. I like to see an expansion team come out hot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had said before, I'd like St. Louis to do somewhere around Nashville. And I'd love it if they were as good as Nashville because they've done things right. Yeah, I'm not expecting it, but I sure would love to see it. Speaking of somebody else that came out of the gate and did things right is uh, LAFC. Uh, and they finally got a win as Christian Rango really started going. Uh, scored a fantastic goal in the first 30 seconds of this game. And they got the game uh, put away for a change. It's good to see they're not out of the running either. If they get hot, they certainly have the talent. Uh, also, FC Dallas, Ricardo Pepe, we talked about a lot of, a lot about him earlier. He El got a goal. Tren. Did you see Justin Che, who's uh, a center back but was is playing wing back right now for FC Dallas? He got the ball in his own backfield and just blew all the way up the pitch to, to give the assist to Pepe on that one. It was something special. I, he dribbled through the I whole team. I missed the run. I missed the run. I caught the tail end of it, and it's just, it's El Tren being El Tren. Peppy. Oh, my goodness. I'm just, I, I love this kid. I cannot wait for him to just blow up even more than he already has. And oh, Che is like 17 years old. He's already been training with Byron, and there's still notice that he's, because Byron's got an agreement with FC Dallas, and that's good for them. Uh, there's talk about him possibly being picked up by Byron, but he's being watched by a lot of people, and he's only 17. Keep an eye on him for the national team as well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I love watching Pepe, but also like, yeah, that run from uh, from Che just blew the doors off everyone by himself. I'd love to see it. Great, great stuff. And uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday late afternoon. Uh, tonight is a big game as the Seattle Sounders will play in the semifinals of the uh, League's Cup against uh, Santos Laguna. And uh, the if they play with their talent, they've got a very real shot of getting to the finals and winning this whole competition, which will be a feather in their cap. If you remember when uh, Frank DeBoer was coaching Atlanta United that first season after Tata Martino left, they didn't do that much, but they did win the League's Cup in a fantastic final uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, the League's Cup is something that I think will be a bigger deal in the future if it keeps going uh, between the leagues. But right now, it's really something on the sideline but it'll be exciting to watch it tonight yeah i mean i know that like nobody really is treating it like a priority but i i like international club matches i'd like to see more of them and i hope that i hope that mls clubs start taking them a little more seriously and uh philadelphia union uh play the second leg of their semifinal in the Concacaf champions league they're down two they'll be at home but they're down two to club america uh perhaps the biggest uh club in the western hemisphere 
and they're running away with the Liga Emekis right now. It's going to be tough for the Union, and they're not playing well. So, in perfect MLS fashion, they'll come out and, and win this somehow. <laughs> I know it's the wrong Hopefully. football. I know it's the wrong football, but uh, go Birds. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts about MLS this week or anything anybody has noticed? I just I just want to say to make sure that we don't just gloss over this, but uh, isn't it fitting that for the Western Conference, I'm I'm officially calling it the battle for the bottom, um, is just the Texas teams, and yeah. it's like actually close. <laughs> and the sad part is, uh, FC Dallas has too much talent to be there, but in the final third, oh, yes. they just can't get their attacking. Pepe has scored, uh, but even in this game, it was a draw for them because they had Pepe and uh, uh, Jesus Ferreira open. I don't remember who the player was for FC Dallas, but instead of passing it just for a tap-in, he decides to take a 22-yard pot shot and sends it up in the stands. Just terrible decision-making. And I don't know what they're doing. They're developing talent, but they're not putting it on the field. That's really a shame. Austin's really slow. It's it's because it's Texas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's because it's Texas. They do the other football. They don't do this football. And it shows. So take that, Texas. I mean, I'm not surprised to see Austin a little struggling because of the expansion team. Um, I want us I want us to play like Nashville. I'm expecting us to play a little bit more like Austin. Um, but uh, in Houston, Houston's bad. <laughs> what yeah. can I say? Houston's bad. Uh, Houston, they really should be better, too. They've got so much going for them. The size of that market, uh, the talent around them in South Texas. It's really a shame. But uh, Houston's not noted for really... Uh, developing a lot of sporting teams. It's a really disparate market despite its size and not noted for being a great sporting city. And if we have nothing else, I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, this episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. Uh, Remember, please uh, subscribe to us, rate and review on your podcaster of choice. It really helps. And uh, that's it for today's show. I am your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean Campbell. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.